Welcome to Trunk Church. Come drink the blood of God with us. Bless you for being an angel Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me Cosima B. Concordia. And my name is Aurora Laborn. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Drunk Church. This is our first bonus episode where we're going to talk about everyone's favorite horny nun movie. Favorite horny nun movie that we've reviewed this season thus far. Let's yeah, okay. I'm sorry. You're, you're right. Yourself. Don't make assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> you're... you're that's that's really true there are some very good horny nun movies out there mm-hmm. those homosocial spaces make for the best kind of lesbian erotica it's really true it's really true you make a good point so i just watched it for the second time today my first watch was in theaters i enjoyed it just as much oh, what were your impressions Aurora? i i mean i have to take a minute to appreciate fully offer my praise of charlotte rambling she's my favorite she's just always beautiful and amazing and i mm-hmm. i love all of her work like beginning with the night porter and then swimming pool and just like everything that she's in she's just so so fascinating and i think so beautiful so beyond my like deep deep love of her my initial response so it just seemed to me to be a very classic love triangle i know that there's like so many more profound conclusions that can be drawn and all of these really beautiful light motifs that we can trace like we can look at like how there's different forms of excrement throughout the film so there's like bird shitting and nun shitting and blood and pus and like milk surprising amount of breast milk in a film about nuns mm-hmm. um, yeah. but i was yeah i was really invested in the love triangle between bernadetta jesus and let's see Felicia? Oh, uh, I'm pretty sure Bar- Bartolomea. Oh, no, that's the abbess's yeah. name. Bartolomea. Okay. I'm so bad at names. Well, okay, well, let's linger on the love triangle because I have strong feelings about how they portrayed her and how there's a particular type of of woman that ends up being portrayed in a lot of holy movies <laughs> a lot of movies about convents that i'm like very skeptical of but that um, i'm gonna save that Ooh, interesting tell me about your feelings about the love triangle yeah my feelings about the love triangle well so i mean it's it's interesting because there are i think several ways to interpret it jesus and god are obviously ways that people throughout history have sublimated their erotic desire for because there are safe places for them to do that. Lots of the best god art is just gays really having a lot of feelings and just kind of putting it in all into God. And I think that that is a lot of what you see in those visions. And as we talk in episode two about mm-hmm. Christian mystics, where sometimes, especially when Jesus appears crucified to Benedetta, like in that one vision, has a very feminized body, very twinkish. And then when she takes his loincloth or whatever off, there's just nothing. So it's definitely like a very feminized rendition of Jesus. 
but yeah, it also complicates that too, right? Because like in one of Benedetta's, um, another vision when she's about to be raped by these vagabonds or whatever, Jesus comes along, assumedly, on a horse and cuts their heads off and kills them all very cleanly. And then comes down and then, oh, no, it's not Jesus as it should be, like, is missing an eye and is, you know, not beautiful like she expects, but still supposedly Jesus. And she says, you're not Jesus. But I think there we're still supposed to see that character as Jesus, who also decides to then start to try to rape her. And I find that when it's this super masculine presenting, especially like non- hyper beautiful there is this like deep rejection it's like jesus is this kind of machine in which all of her like erotic desires that have nowhere to go in her actual life are are kind of being processed through and i mean as far as the love triangle goes i think to go to the end of the film benedetta she kind of confesses briefly to the as is it the benedict uh, or something about how it's through bartolomea that she accomplishes universal love and i think going off of the tire there's just so much eroticism going on here so much of the object of desire and sex being used in order to access the divine mm-hmm. and that benedetta like experiences that i think authentically her character is experiencing those things and yeah, I just think that's really fascinating. I don't mind the read that she's a little bit clever about it, that she's doing it because there needs to be a myth, that there needs to be a hero, that there needs to be some some kind of change or things mm. shaken up. So the idea that maybe it was her that carved the wounds from the crown of thorns into her own forehead versus it just sort of spontaneously appearing. So I, I kind of like the idea of her being an incomplete martyr. Like, that almost introduces a notion of lack into this. That's interesting. Yeah, I completely agree that I think we're definitely supposed to read in that she is 100% has created the wounds that they didn't come entirely spontaneously. But -hmm. I think what's fascinating is how the narrative complicates that because she has such an intense like we talk about the power of faith like the reason people are so off put by her and she like is able to accomplish so much power is because she is just so unquestioningly this is the truth in a way that i think she believes it and it's like at the very end bartolomea mm-hmm. is like tries to get her to confess that it was all ruse and Benedetta's like well i don't know how god accomplishes his ends like yeah maybe i did cut myself with that but like that's still God. And I think that fundamental ambiguity is fascinating because there's no ability for us to judge. Like, we can't know what's in Benedetta's mm-hmm. head, right? I think there's also a shared degree of pragmatism. And this was what ultimately, I think, connects the characters of Bernadetta and then the the original abbess. Mm-hmm. And that is Felicia or Felicia. I can't pronounce French or French names. Um, the abbess, the original abbess, Charlotte Rambert. Because her character in the beginning, like when another nun who happens to be her daughter from before she joined the convent and who also sort of joined the convent with her, is very skeptical. And she's kind of open of like, yeah, it might be, but we're choosing to believe this lie because it's good for the convent. Mm-hmm. There's a, a degree of pragmatism. And I think... Both the women act together at the end against the 
is he a bishop is he i don't i don't know uh, i don't know uh, pa- like papal <laughs> benedict or something i don't know uh, who knows uh, how the catholics work <laughs> i love the uh, um god i the the joke of like people being like how can how can this the straight straight children understand gay marriage <laughs> the like father son holy spirit like almost crazy very straightforward Aurora <laughs> get with it I, know. <laughs> I mean not that I think that gay marriage is good is it too early to say that we're an anti gay marriage podcast we're we're the gays who are don't marry no we live in sin obviously mm-hmm. we, we live in Only we sin. live in worship in sin and so like i thought that was super super fascinating and I, I don't know i thought it was just a really beautiful degree of mutual recognition and that was exciting at least for me to watch yeah i definitely think that theme runs throughout the whole movie where the language of god is utilized for whatever purpose and i mean i like like and it also just kind of shows the arbitrariness of concrete beliefs that it's like if you want to believe something if you want to bring something to your end you can use language into that end and it shows just like how quickly something can be appropriated in that way it's Mm -hmm. like there's that really kind of cute relationship between the original abbess and um benedetta's like actual bio father um where she's basically like prodding him about you know rich men do not enter heaven (laughs) to get him to just continually cough up more money and also that miracles within the context they're very much things that are like i mean it's like you know what we talked about with mysticism that they need to be affirmed right fundamentally it's about um (laughs) it's about some sort of authority that probably has some level of invested interest in saying like this is real as opposed to this is fake i also love how the original abbess is a little bit skeptical of miracles she isn't so happy to welcome them she says something to her daughter along the lines of like if they like it would be bad if they happened every day or we can't be looking for them everywhere because they will happen every day. Uh, I, I know I'm totally messing up that line, but I just, there is a degree of, of skepticism or a de- like you would almost imagine her to be again, more faithful. Mm-hmm. She's just so, again, she's so utterly pragmatic. Well, she doesn't even believe in God at the end. Once the former abbess is, you know, has the plague and Benedetta goes to visit her that last time and then whispers to her where they have the little insurrection. Benedetta like, confronts the fact you have never really believed you've dedicated your life to this but you have never really believed in god in any of this and i'm pretty sure the abbess also says that to her daughter earlier on that like this is the way she chose to carry on her life there's only so many options so she wields power in that way to take care of the people that she wants to take care of maybe this is way too blunt of a question but how do we feel about the character of benedetta like is she a good person? I, I, I'm kind of put off by her for a lot of different reasons. She's pretty narcissistic. She uses the people around her. One of the reasons I really enjoyed this film is because that is such sort of common thing that we see happen in films that center uh, a male like protagonist, this like troubled... <laughs> a lone wolf a violent narcissist who just stomps on people because they know better than everyone else like any kind of 
and I love um, Scorsese, but like all of his male protagonists, they're all just a little bit better. And there's this like religious aspect. So it was like really interesting to see a woman play that part. And that I really enjoyed. And I, again, I thought it was super well done, but is she a good person? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I believe in, you know, good people <laughs> as a thing. Oh, okay. You okay. Know, you can really like concretely identify um, but I definitely... You're right, you're right. I was being vulgar. <laughs> a little vulgar. A little. Well, I said it was a blunt question. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, like, Benedetta, <laughs> like, I do think that, you know, there is something very... I mean, there's something about being a religious leader that is extremely self-centered, very narcissistic. And, like, Bartolomea very much recognizes that at a few points. Like when she says the only thing that you believe in it is yourself and then Benedetta ends up masturbating to her and gets her to like take down her top just so that she can use her basically. And and that's one of the most objectifying and like uncomfortable sexual scenes in the movie, which I think is is really fascinating because it just feels like very violent and wrong. I definitely think she is quite a selfish person for sure. <laughs> I think that she is a deeply self-centered person, but that's also the level of confidence that you have to invoke mm -hmm. that much awe in people. There has to be a certain amount of like intense selfishness. And that's not to say that people should be that way, but just to say that I think that there is a reason that people are so compelled by her because she does have this kind of completely unreasonable faith in God, but also her faith in God is another way to say that she has faith in herself as Bartolomea like notices that one time when she says like the only person you believe in is yourself or the only person you love is yourself. And when she uses Bartolomea in that super objectifying uncomfortable way just to like get off in that one scene when Bartolomea is like obviously very upset, you can tell that she's a deeply manipulative person regardless of whether or not she believes that her visions are authentic. This relates to our conversation about Bataille when we talked about sacrifice and how everyone wants to be Jesus, no one wants to be Judas. And there's a little bit of selfishness in there. There's a little bit of selfishness in sacrifice and a little bit of selflessness of the one that's put in that position to be the betrayer, to be, I mean, in this case, the honest one. Everyone that called Brendetta out, everyone that questioned the righteousness of her actions suffered from it or end up being cast in a super negative light. And Brendetta didn't suffer anything that she didn't elect to suffer. There's that selfish aspect of that kind of passion. Well, and just to look like Brendetta is compared to Bartolomea is very privileged, you know, comes from this extremely wealthy family, mm -hmm. has very, very little hardship in the scheme of that time period <laughs> not that you know being a nun is easy but then Bartolomeo's life is so horrific and just like faces so much abuse and then she ends up literally being tortured in the most horrific ways you can think of by like basically inquisitors <laughs> to get this false confession out of her and but it wasn't a false confession that was also oh yeah yeah you're right you're right it's just literally the truth it's just literally it's just truth. literally the truth and benedetta still is like oh i had to be betrayed bartolomea mm -hmm. still has to be the judas so i have very strong opinions about how Bartolomea's character was written because i think that 
there's this whole obviously within philosophy of religion or in literary studies or in like you can go back to plato in the symposium talking about fleshiness of carnal desires and femininity and then this binary of holiness and it bothered me how bartolomeo was made to be flesh and sex and dirtiness and filth and poverty and i think she's portrayed as or portrayed excuse me as less oh she is because she's being taught how to read she's illiterate she's just made into this again this figure that is just carnality and is just this figure of sexuality to the extent that her abuse almost becomes like a sort of um or something that's like titulating about the recounting of it. It's like, oh yeah, it was this is my father did this, but then my brothers did it too. Like she just is made just a pure sex object, even by Bernadetta, and especially by Bernadetta. And that really bothers me. Really, really bothers me. And I hope it, this was intentional, <laughs> an intentional critique of those sorts of binaries. But it really reminded me, and it's totally fair if you've never seen this film, of The Name of the Rose. It has Sean Connery in it. It's a adaptation and christian slater adaptation of umberto echoes in the name of the rose i haven't but i've heard of it and there's a single female character in it she looks almost exactly like bartolomea actually she's this beautiful brunette who's just dirty Mm -hmm. and doesn't she doesn't utter a single line she doesn't it's unclear if she speaks she just runs in fact the first time you see her she's just digging through trash and she's just very animalistic and sexy and she basically just exists to have sex with the christian slater character and she's the one that mounts christian slater i think initially it's just like (laughs) and then at the end of the film like christian slater was like that's the only woman i ever loved and i never knew her name it's like well buddy you didn't bother to find out weird like making of this other figure who's like pivotal for Mm. in that case the christian slater monk character and in this case the bernadetta character pivotal and instrumental like for their holiness reducing them to less than human like again especially in the name of the rose like yeah i don't know how lucid that was because i feel very strongly about it (laughs) that's a really fascinating point yeah i definitely see that (laughs) and then even bonding going to the latrine she's just so connected to again everything that is base she's bought for bernadetta bought like again she's introduced as less Mm -hmm. than human she's introduced as a less than human sex object and that's really all she's treated as by everyone around her besides the woman that clothes her in that nasty uh wool i think that that was a practice that you would have to wear like this like very particular awful wool Mm -hmm. yeah the the hair shirt Um, it's interesting to think about how benedetta mm -hmm. when she initially meets bartolomea she prays to god to have a strong hand implying that she doesn't have a strong hand yet and then the first thing she does is to force bartolomea or not force her but get bartolomea to stick her hand in the boiling water you know really harm herself and i mean also that scene is is really viscerally hot (laughs) the commandingness of it and that like tension between them is wild it's curious what that dynamic was in the degree of and i don't want to use i hate this word 
we're we're gonna unpack this word in the future we promise the degree of the extent to which that action was chosen or consensual versus the extent to which it was coerced or a result of forced power relations so that's i think ambiguous yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating scene. And they switch the roles of sadism and masochism several different times, but always with, it seems, Benedetta having the power. Like, there's never really a moment where Bartolomea is able to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, I guess, induces the, that vision early on with Jesus cutting off the heads of the snakes when they're singing by touching ben- Benedetta's genitals and and making her gasp and i guess that is kind of a power play but most of the time it seems bartolomea doesn't have like a whole lot of a chance you know (laughs) again she's made to be sex and desire and temptation but she's not shown experiencing any pleasure of her own and unless you want to read into the sort of masochistic action of dipping her hands in the boiling water And I think it is worth seeing some subversive pleasure in that action. I think it's worth leaving that ambiguous and that line open. But Bernadetta is like totally selfish. She's terrible lover. Like it's so non-reciprocal. Well, I actually think I kind of disagree with that. I think that certainly could be true. That Bernadetta could be taking up the space and not be willing to reciprocate. But that's Uh also never shown. But like what we do see is that Bartolomea like acts as the top like a lot of people get their pleasure from giving Mm. and that is a completely legitimate form of pleasure just like being a sadist or being a top I think the privileging of being fucked over fucking even like within lesbianism like there is uh there are plenty of dykes that do not like penetration a lot of the time you know like that's the whole point of of stone so And then there's also always varying degrees of that, too. And, like, I think pillow princesses are a thing and, Mm -hmm. you know, legitimate as long (laughs) as it's all consented to. I think the thing that's disturbing about Bartolomea's and Benedetta's relationship is that it is so fundamentally unequal. Mm -hmm. And Benedetta in no way is ever giving any amount of upper hand or, like, consideration for (laughs) the ways that Bartolomea is oppressed, basically. I mean, she doesn't offer any kind of reciprocity. But there's also beyond the, again, you're right, we don't want to fall into like this bizarre logic of <laughs> orgasm for orgasm. Like that's a really silly... <laughs> equal orgasms for equal pay. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's there's no aftercare. That's so beyond the wow, it seems like one person is receiving a lot of the attention, like the sexual attention. One person seems to be getting off a lot more than the other person. Okay, like, again, that risks the the whole, like, pleasure gap logic. We don't want to fall into that Pe- pleasure gap being the the term that we use to describe lack of fairness and orgasms between men and women. And if we want to do the creepy thing where we're like, oh, who's the man and the woman in the queer relationship, then we can probably sort of... <laughs> extend it there so beyond that critique which again we both agree is like pretty shallow there's the notion again of of aftercare so 
Bartolomea is brutally tortured and it's Bernadette's like, oh, I just, I needed someone to betray me. It's, it's okay. I, I forgive you. That sleight of hand of it was necessary forgiveness where it ought to have been like some giving of thanks or just some relief that this person that was dear to her is still surprisingly intact after undergoing again that kind of brutality yeah so what do you make of the very end then when they're finally in their house they've escaped and they're you know naked together and then immediately benedetta leaves and like (laughs) goes back (laughs) again like and i'll I'll be very polemic here it's like classic classic bisexual (laughs) (laughs) behavior and i'm 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 bisexual i'm kind of calling myself out here before people want to flay me for this of again, like the failure to commit emotionally to a woman because of the believed bond or believed expectation that you owe the man that you are with or were with. It for me, it's really unclear like what her relationship with Jesus actually is, or like why would she would go back? And it is a sense of duty. It's a sense of duty to maintain that connection. And for me, that was like in that moment it was seemed like less a holy thing she can worship god anywhere if she actually meant that god is love and when i love other people then i'm experiencing god's love if she actually meant that then she could continue on her path and live that beautiful happy life but it's also not the case that she went back as a to be narcissistic because and they both acknowledged and the historical like evidence that we were given like i don't know to what degree we're, we ought to believe it. it she did she wasn't celebrated she wasn't given a martyrdom she had to like eat on the floor and she lived alone so it's like really unclear why it's just like yeah, classic choosing unhappiness out of duty i definitely um, see that reading i think that there's also a level of like choosing privilege right <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. The privilege of a certain future versus an open future. Yeah. To to commit to being a not wife of Jesus, and, you know, someone without a husband, there's not a whole lot of options and lots of them are really grim. Mm. And to fully commit to like that selfhood over, I mean, I think that there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn around similar lines there. Mm-hmm again the last scenes that they are together there's something that is almost like from the bible they're looking over the plague-stricken town that's all smoke rising from what you would imagine are bodies being burned and they're like in this well, the, the, the town survives the plague though oh well then it's them burning to purify <laughs> 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 i don't know there's just like it's there, there's all this smoke in the air it seems like not great it really seems not great and they're in this beautiful but rundown farmhouse they're both naked you get this genesis vibe of this new beginning and then she's like back into the gates of the walled city that's like spewing smoke that's what happens when you return to cis heteronormativity folks don't do it better to become a salt pillar <laughs> <laughs> that's right always choose to be a salt pillar is that okay my two favorite genders is the biblically accurate angels and then pillars of salt um Mm -hmm. yeah that's all we need (laughs) we don't need more than that binary (laughs) (laughs) ah well are there anything else oh one one more thing i i do want to quickly talk about is which i think is delightful is there there's the jewish nun you know who has Uh the whole thing about how she 
is her Jewishness, which is is held against her more than it seems like any other sin. And there's that scene where she takes down her clothes and she has like the deep cuts in her breast. And and this is after she says, I take pride in my suffering. And Benedetta says, pride is a sin. She says, we're all entitled to some sin. <laughs> and and then she says, you've discovered my secret lover. And Benedetta says, you call that love? And she says, God will talk to you in many tongues. Yeah. And there's just, I think that that portrayal of sadomasochism as this practice of self-love that it is obviously this is someone who is very tortured a lot by society but at the same time i think we're typically taught to think of the idea of wounds as like self-harm that you're doing something wrong to yourself but it's like no this is this is me loving myself and like a a type of like self-reclaiming i think that was a really beautiful scene and like a beautiful character in the middle of the film Mm mm-hmm to be woundable is is to be vulnerable. I think something that we're doing very well right now is not us in particular, but de- definitely us in particular as well. But within theory circles or within any kind of discourses that we celebrate and we recognize the importance of vulnerability. So wound is Latin for vulnus, which again, <laughs> scratch wound slash blow injury gash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's the root for vulnerability to allow oneself to be woundable is like to allow oneself to be vulnerable is like is really really beautiful and and affirming it's an affirmation of oneself not just sign of weakness or a sign of one being dominated Mm -hmm. by someone else the final thing i do want to talk about which is quite delightful is her mother's virgin mary (laughs) No, I was going to say, like, it's the, of course, it's the Virgin Mary as the phallus. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that she has, she has it in the very first scene as a child and is, like, holding mm-hmm. it as she gets, like, the bandits to go away. And then it ends up being the way for her to access God and pleasure through <laughs> Madonna. It's this like surprisingly large dildo too. Yeah. Well, um. well, it was like, oh, our fingers don't. It's like they hadn't invented fisting yet. It's very sad. <laughs> it just didn't look. I mean, I I know that people use all types of things as dildo. It just didn't look super comfortable. But you know, it was made out of wood. I mean, at one point she's like, oh, there's a bump here. <laughs> yeah, and just just kind of gonna you know make that smooth again. <laughs> <laughs> there's like no amount of like spit that was gonna yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh my god <laughs> i thought that was just beautiful i think more virgin mary should be used in what uh you know the papal benedict or whatever he's called called a sacrilegious inversion of the highest order i think there should be more sacrilegious inversions i think that that's what we owe the world i mean there was a lot of the virgin mary there was some nipple play there was the use of the virgin mary as a dildo (laughs) yeah well and that she like suckles the, (laughs) the statue of the virgin mary at the very beginning it's so good she's like kind of straddled by like she's I don't know. I I thought that that was like more than just an omen. Like that also ends up being a little bit sexual. Like not just the Virgin Mary as protector or as again as mother. It was also the mother as this sexual being. It was confusing. 
that's I think when the movie kind of really started for me. I was like, okay, yeah, like <laughs> absolutely. I being weighed down by her her mommy Donnie. <laughs> so true and you should say it virgin mary is yeah, mommy Donnie. that's true that's really true <laughs> there's the mommy Donnie, and then there's there's daddy and then jesus is the husband slash masochist son <laughs> this is queering the family <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't know about that <laughs> I, I i say that with some degree of of sarcasm or irony that's good aurora (laughs) (laughs) well are there any last thoughts that you have no just i'm still like emotionally recovering from again a crudely cut wooden well actually one more thing i do want to briefly bring up is so the abbess has the daughter right Mm -hmm. i don't know if we're supposed to take that as a literal daughter because that's kind of the relationship between all of them yeah no, I, I fully agree. And so I also think that there is kind of an implication of a potential love relationship, like romantic relationship, especially because of that peephole into the Abbas's quarters. I just, I found that very interesting. They were always watching each other, but that didn't seem so ominous necessarily. Maybe the Abbas and her daughter were sort of looking out to see if they were being watched. Because there seemed to be a decent degree of solidarity between all the women. Like, it's interesting to me to trace when the conflict really started. And it was the question of whether or not she was lying. Because I I wonder to what degree that sexual relationship between the two women might have been celebrated or allowed. Had there also not have been a power shift that the daughter objected to so i think everyone else would have gone with it they would have been super pragmatic and open yeah speaking of the mommy dom relationship i do wonder if there is the possibility of that being another lesbian relationship which then makes it all the more tragic Mm -hmm. absolutely so this has been our first bonus episode our first bonus episode so this is only being listened to by the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. if you're here you're great we like you mm-hmm. stay a while <laughs> well thank you so much aurora and thank you all for listening and we will see you next time bless you for being an angel just when it seemed that heaven was not for me